Good morning. Why do I have to follow that? Um, dang, that was good. That was good. God is good, you know. That's what, that's what we're doing here, life change. Um, and it's just an incredible thing. And now, now I get to talk to you guys about uh, the Word of God, which is, which is my honor. And I love it. Um, however, I got to tell you guys something. Um, it's a confession. Um, it's a bittersweet moment for me because it's, it's good news, but it's also bad news. Um, the, the thing I got to tell you is that this summer I peaked. I, uh, I found the best version of TJ. And uh, I've been working towards this my whole life. Um, and then I found that glorious spot on the mountaintop of TJ. And, uh, and I peaked there. Um, and uh, the reason I know I peaked, now some of you guys, we all know that there is a peak in life. There is a peak version of ourselves. And then it's all downhill from there. Um, we all know this. Now, n normally, most of us don't get to the spot where we recognize it. We just later on look back and go, that was definitely the time I peaked, right there. However, I recognized it because during this time, during my peak TJ moment, the coolest picture ever taken of me was taken, okay? Now, prepare yourselves, okay? Prepare yourselves for a man in his peak form, okay? Ready for this? Here it is. Look at that. Right? Look at the waves. Look at how they're moving over here. There's a sunset going down behind me as I'm surfing this. The water is the perfect color in this moment. And when I saw this picture, I was both gloriously happy and sad knowing that now my life just is a downhill journey from that moment, you know? It is a downhill journey. Now you look at it and go, TJ, this is silly, right? And you're right. I am being silly. Um, but I have to tell you, I, I give you this picture and I tell you that I peaked because I have to go all the way back to the beginning of this picture. Now God made it so that wakeboarding, wake surfing, this sport that I have learned to love over time, um, it, is, it has paralleled my faith journey. It has paralleled my faith journey. Now, I've told the story before, and I'm not going to jump too much into it, but way back in the day, when I was 16 years old, my sister tricked me into going to Christian summer camp. And the way she tricked me into going to Christian summer camp is she told me that it was a wakeboarding camp. That's what she said. And she came in one day, she had all these pictures, she threw them down on the bed, and it was her friends having all this fun. And she goes, TJ, me and my friends, we go to this camp every year, and we wakeboard there. Do you want to go to this wakeboarding camp with me? And I was like, sis, this is the greatest thing ever. Of course I want to go to wakeboarding camp with you. Now, I should have figured it out. We left from a church parking lot. Um, <laughs> We traveled all the way across the state into Idaho, and then uh, a guy who sort of looked like me, a bearded fellow with glasses, said, hey, let's pray. And I realized that's a weird thing to do at wakeboarding camp. Um, I found Jesus at this camp. I, 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 I submitted my life to God at this camp. Now, you'd think that at the camp where I found Jesus, I also learned to wakeboard. And I didn't. 
because, and it wasn't for lack of trying, because I am gravitationally challenged. And I've always been a very dense human, which means that whenever they would try to get me up. Now, getting up on a wakeboard is very similar to getting up on skis behind a boat. So if you know that thing, you kind of lay there in the water, you're 25 feet behind the boat, you got a rope attached, you yell the words, hit it, which is a very aggressive way to say, hey, go forward and pull me out of the water. Now, whenever this would happen, I would be back there, and instead of rising up, I would sink, <laughs> literally sink. And it would get colder and darker, and there would get more pressure on my head until I would let go of the rope. I had enough strength to let go of the rope. And then that rope would come back into the boat with the amount of velocity that could kill someone, okay? That's, that was what happened every day at this camp. So the wakeboarding camp I found Jesus at, I never became a wakeboarder. Now, right after that camp, my, my youth pastor, he was really good about this. He always told us to tell our story and to share the gospel using our story. So I started telling my story way, way back in the day when I was 16 years old about how I was tricked into going to summer camp because it was a wakeboarding camp. Now, different boat drivers who were in the community, in the youth community, all of a sudden realized that at the camp that I was supposed to become a wakeboarder, and I became a Christian instead, I never got to be awake. So they took it upon themselves the next year to make sure that the story is brought to completion. It's brought to its peak that I would be a wakeboarder. And they tried. There's like three of them. They all had different methods for me getting up, but every single time the same thing would happen. I would sink, the, the, the rope would get tight, I would let go, it would hit some kid and he would die on the boat, and that was the way in which it went. That was the way. Then the third year, which is the last year that I'm going to qualify to be a camper at camp. This is it. This is my high school, and I have to, and this is actually the camp where I'm going to be baptized at. Now, I don't have to explain to you guys, but baptism is all about rising up out of the water, okay? So if there is a camp in which I am going to become a wakeboarder, it has to be this camp. Every day I went out there, every single day I went out there, I shot that rope right back in the thing, again, killed some kid, and then, and then, and then, never became a wakeboarder. Oh. And it was right after that camp, right after that camp, I, I got my first job in ministry. I became a youth intern. And I was at middle school camp. And middle school camp was about work. It wasn't about fun. Um, but at this camp, I met a cute girl named Britt. Okay? And I was trying to impress her as much as I could. Um, and there was one day in which... We were going to get to go out on a staff boat ride and learn how to wakeboard. I knew how this was going to go. <laughs> uh, this is not a good situation for me. And here's the other thing that's, that's crazy about wakeboarders, right? It's really a sport for very small humans because, because small 80-pound girls literally pop out of the water with just a little thing. And it, it, it was the most frustrating thing for four years, just watching these girls go, I've never done this before in my life. But poof, oh, I'm up, yay! And I'm just like... <laughs> and then I'd be out there sinking, and they'd be like, you can do it. I'm like, shut up, you. You know, I'd be aiming for them, you know, um, in that moment, right? And, and, and so now this cute girl's on the boat... I know that I'm going to sink. I know this is going to happen. And I, I say, hit it. But something different happens in this moment. Like Lazarus, I rise <laughs> out of the water. And there I am. 
I'm wakeboarding. I'm finally wakeboarding in this moment. And I'm so excited. I'm like, yeah, and I'm awesome. I lose track of the situation. And then the board goes sideways and I plop. So just like Peter, like I got up on the water and then I got distracted and boom, I hit the water. But from that day forward, I became a wakeboarder. And, 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 and this is a tool that I've used ever since. Everybody who's ever come to camp with us knows this is how we do camp. We do camp in this way. And so I've been working and I've been training. I've been getting good at this. Now wakeboarding has evolved over the years. Now we do something called wake surfing. The cool thing is you get up the same way, but we don't have to strap ourselves into the board, which is great because you don't kill yourself. Um, and so, so you can actually just surf behind the boat on the boat's wake and you don't even have to have the rope. And it's an incredible, awesome thing. So I started out as a wakeboarder and now I've become a surfer. Now do you understand why this is the peak image of TJ right here in this moment? Now you say, TJ, did you really just tell us this nine minute story, if you were counting, um, to show us this cool picture? Yes, I did. But also, there are things in which God uses these little silly things in our lives to parallel growth into our lives. And there are, there are, in the Bible, there's all these moments of paralleled growth. And so today, we're not just going to be looking at one scripture, we're going to be looking at two parallel chunks of scripture. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 16, and then five chapters ahead in Genesis 21. Now, if that's not confusing enough, uh, instead of working my way through these things linear, I'm going to be going through two chunks of the Bible at the same time, but I'm going to be going through it backwards. And the reason I'm doing that is not because I'm showing off, but because I believe there is truth in here, and I think that's one of the best ways for us to see it. So, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 16. We're going to start in 11 through 12, but I need to set this up first. I need to set this up first. We got Abraham and we got Sarah. And they were given a promise in their old age that they would have a son. And this son was going to basically, the descendants through this son was going to outnumber the stars in the sky. A mighty nation was going to come out of this really old couple. They got the promise late and then they were told to wait. That's exactly what's going on here. Now, Waiting is hard. It's difficult. It's a burden. And somewhere along the line, Sarah got tired of waiting and decided, we need to have ourselves an insurance baby. We need to have ourselves an insurance baby. So she says, hey, I've got this servant girl who works for me. Her name's Hagar. Take her as your wife, Abraham. Have a baby. Maybe the three of us could, the three of us could become four of us and we can just raise this baby. This is going to be easy, right? No. And so that's where we find ourselves right here. Now, the birth of Ishmael. This is, this is what it says about Ishmael. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. If you got a physical Bible, circle that word misery because that's what this is going to be about today. For the Lord has heard your misery. He will be like a wild donkey of a man. Now I don't need to tell you guys what the old English version of this say, but it's a little more spicy than that. He will be like a wild donkey of a man. His hands will be against everyone and everyone's hands against him and he will live in hostility towards his brothers. Now, it's really important to, for us to understand at this point, 
Islamic teaching trace their roots back to Abraham through the lineage of who? Ishmael. And so this struggle has been going on for thousands of years, and it's right there in the beginning. And you guys notice what's going on. So then let's jump forward to Genesis chapter 21, the birth of not Ishmael, but the birth of who? Isaac. No, but before we do that, we're going to to call this the child of promiscuity. That's what's going on here. This is the child of promiscuity. And we're going to contrast that with Isaac, who is the child of promise. This is the child of promise. And notice the difference here. Abraham was a hundred years old. I told you he was old. He was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, she added, who would have said that Abraham, that that Abraham, uh, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a child, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Who would have said, God said it. And you know that God said it. So we have this son of promise, and you notice the difference. Misery, burden, and then, the, the, uh, and then we got the son, of, the son of promise, and we have what? We have laughter. We have joy. We have fulfillment in this moment. And there's a truth here. There's a truth that we, that we get out of this. It's this waiting produces both burden and blessing in us. Now, those of us who've walked with the Lord for a while, we know this is true that waiting produces both burden and blessing in us. And oftentimes when we ask God for things, and God asks us to ask God for things, when we ask God for things, when we're younger in our faith, we think that it's just this binary, right? It's just just God's going to say yes or he's going to say no. But most often in the Bible, when we ask for things, we don't get yes or no. What we get back from God is wait. And we are not great at wait. We are not great at waiting. And oftentimes it is in the waiting that we find the hardest moments of our lives. I think about this when I think about Britt and I. Now we, like I said, we met way, 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 way back in the day when we were teenagers. Um, And we were heading off to school, Multnomah Bible College. Um, And before we headed off to school, Britt's parents set us down. And said, hey, we know what happens at Bible college. People get married at Bible college, you know. They go in looking for a different degree, and the ladies there end up with the MRS degree, right. Uh, Multnomah Bible College was Multnomah Bridal College, right. And, And they didn't love the fact that we would be getting married so young, even though we'd been together at this point for a couple years. And so they said, we're not going to bless any marriage before Brit has her degree. And that meant we got to wait for this thing to happen. We added burden to our life because instead of just taking 18 credits, which would have been a full load, um, we took 22 credits every single semester. Um, So we turned our four-year degree into a three-year degree. Why? Simple fact is we wanted to be married. But there was struggle. And I remember one night we got into a fight that seemed like the worst thing that had ever happened to either one of us. And it was horrible. And, and, and it felt like the logical conclusion to a fight this severe was that Britt and I were going to break up. And we didn't. 
we just sort of parted that night. Um, I went back to my dorm. She went back to her dorm. And God didn't give me rest. And I just kept thinking about how I didn't want this to be the end and how I didn't want this to be over. And, and I kept thinking and praying to God, like, God, I thought you put her in my life. I thought this was supposed to be some sort of promise that you've given me. Just I stayed up, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. And at 5 a.m., I decided to look up when the sun was going to rise. I got on my computer. I looked it up. It was like 7.10. It was going to rise that day. Um, so I went, and uh, I went over to Britt's dorm. They had the old phone system, and I called into her phone. I woke her roommate up. So her roommate was mad at me. Her roommate woke Britt up, so she was mad at me. Now I've got two ladies who are really mad at me. And I was like, Britt, just come down. She came down. I said, let's go for a drive. Let's go in my car. And I had this 1986 Honda Accord with the pop-up headlights in the front, but one of the one of the headlights was, um, you know, propped open, like never shut, so I could like wink at people when I was driving. <laughs> um, I don't know why I tell you that story. It just that's that's the car we were in, um, and we went up to this place called Rocky Butte in Portland, and it overlooks the city and the and the, the the cityscape. And I thought we should watch a sunrise together because it it might help us to understand. But it was cold, it was dark, and it was damp, and it was. A really dark time. I grabbed Britt, I pulled her close to me, and it stayed really dark and really damp and really cold for a while. And they always say it's always darkest before the dawn, but it's actually true. It's very dark, it's very cold, and it's very wet. Um, and Britt, I can tell, is like, where is this going, you know? And in my head, I was looking at my watch thinking, I, I saw online that it said that it was going to rise at 7.10. And maybe because it was the sleep depravity, I had this crazy thought that maybe the sun wasn't going to rise today. <laughs> and, then I, and then like instantly in my head, I'm like, you dummy, of course it's going to rise today. And in that same thing, that same moment, I realized, you dummy, of course you and Britt are meant to be together. And as I had those two thoughts... Myself rebuking myself, light hit the horizon. It was one of the most gorgeous sunrises. And as the sun rose, there was beautiful pinks and blues and reds and wonderful. The Willamette Valley has the best sun, sunrises and sunsets. It's just true. Um, valleys aren't great places to live, but they have really good sunsets and really good sunrises. And, and, and there it was. The promise was made new and it became warm. And we didn't say anything. We never really talked about that fight ever again, but we knew that the promise was there. And we knew in that moment that waiting produces both burden and blessing. But is that what our story is about today? Is it about this Ishmael versus Isaac and the idea of waiting? Is that our timeless truth? It's a good truth. It's from the scripture, but I don't think it's the truth we're looking for. And I think if we're going we're gonna to look at the truth, I think we've got we to gotta back up a little bit. And we got to just not just look at the sons, but in order to figure out where our truth is this morning, we need to look at the mamas, right, in this situation. And so let's look at Hagar and Sarah. I know there's a lot of words on the screen. I did this on purpose because I wanted to work through these things in this way. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along, but, but this is what's going on. Let me, let me set up what's going on here. Like I said, they said, hey, let's have this crazy moment. You take my slave girl, have a baby, then we'll, it'll be all good. Turns out it wasn't all good. 
As soon as Hagar became pregnant with Ishmael, it was a problem. Sarah despised Hagar. Hagar despised Sarah. And it was just a horrible thing. Finally, Abraham looks at Sarah and says, do what you want with her. Do, just go ahead and do what you want with her. And so Sarah just mistreats her to the point where she runs away. Now she is pregnant with the only son of Abraham and she is running into the desert. And this is what the scripture says. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Now highlight near a spring in the desert because that's going to be a really big thing as we parallel this. Uh, Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside the word, sorry, beside the road to Shur. Now I'm not sure how you pronounce Shur, but let's go with Shur right now, okay? And he said to her, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? From where do you come from and where do you go? Cotton Eye Joe. Um, I am running away from my mistress, Sarai. She answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count them. So we have this story of Abraham sort of having a cowardice, Sarah mistreating Hagar, and Hagar running away into the desert. Now let's flash forward 14 years, and which is five chapters, to Genesis 21, and we find a almost parallel account. However, this time, this time, Isaac has been born. So Sarah looks out and she sees Hagar and she sees Ishmael and she realizes that this was a mistake and it was a mistake that she made and and nothing drives a human crazy more than having to face their own mistakes every single day and so she sees these two individuals she has the son of promise she doesn't need the son of promiscuity anymore she has the blessing she wants to get rid of the burden so she goes to Abraham once again and she goes get rid of them send them away and Abraham didn't want to do this because this is his son. But an angel comes and, and reassures Abraham that, that they would be okay. So he takes a wild skin and he fills it with water. So like a, like a really ancient canteen. And he gives it to them and he sends them into where? The desert. So here we have Hagar and Ishmael in the desert again. And things aren't looking very good. They've run out of water and Ishmael is dying. So Sarah places him under a bush, and she's listening to him whimper, and she's listening to him die. And she realizes, I can't handle this. I can't handle the son of my son dying. So the Bible says that he, she, she walked away a bow shot away. And what's really going on there is she got far enough away that she wouldn't have left him, but she wouldn't be able to hear him die. And so he's dying, she's also dying, they're sobbing, and they're in a desert. And this is what the scripture says. And she sat there, and she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw what? 
a well of water. She's back at the spring, guys. So she went and filled the skin with water, and she gave it to the boy. And listen to this. God was with the boy as he grew up. Do you guys hear the heart of God in this? Do you guys hear the heart of God in this? It's it's so obvious to me that God loves the outcast. Now think about this. Now think about this. I already told you that Ishmael is the son of a great nation. That great nation becomes the Islamic state. That's what it becomes as they go on. And God knows that in preserving Ishmael's life, he is in fact going to preserve the enemy of the people of God. Now think about that. Just think about what just happened there. But in this moment, it is not who he's going to become that God is worried about. What God worries in this moment, why God cares for him, because he is just a boy dying in the desert. He is just a boy dying in a desert. Now, we are not the inherit, we are not the descendants of Ishmael. We are also not the descendants of Abraham. That's not who we are. We are another set of outcasts whom God loved. And so when Ishmael is dying there, what we must see is we must see ourselves in this moment. And how God, no matter the person we become, no matter how wild of donkeys we are, God still cares for us in this moment. And he can still fulfill all of his promises despite how good or bad we become. And God will always and forever, even even to those who are damned for eternity, still love the outcast. That is the heart of God. That is who God is. And I see the New Testament, I see the gospel here. For while we were yet sinners, while we were yet dead in our sins, while we were dying, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Do you hear it? God loves the outcast. But is that our timeless truth this morning? It's a good truth. It's, it, it's a truth born out of pain. But is that the timeless truth? Is that what we're looking at? I think we can find even a better one if we back all the way up. So we started with the boys. We moved to the mamas. Now let's go back to the dad, Father Abraham, right? And let's see what's going on. And in order to do this, we're going to back all the way up to the start of Genesis 16 and the start of Genesis 21. And so what we see here is this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, now they changed their names in between these chapters because of the covenant of circumcision, which is a whole different sermon that I'm not going to preach today. But basically, yeah, this is Sarah and Abraham. Now Sarai and Abram's wife had born to him no children. Now this is where they're hatching up the plan, right? This is the, the, the beginning of the iniquity, the beginning of the promiscuity, the beginning of the burden. And that's what we, we hear. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. And in the most guy thing ever, Abram says, Abram agreed to what, his, what Sarah had said. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and what we see here in this, in the first part of 16, is we see human scheming. This is the deck we've been dealt. We've got to do something. And so let's do this thing. Now let's compare that 
to what we see in Genesis chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to, a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac, the son who... Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son that Sarah had borne him. You guys see what's going on here. God did as he said he was going to do, as he promised he was going to do, at the very time he promised it. Now don't miss this. Don't miss this. This story, the story that we find in chapter 16, and the story that we find in 21, and the five key figures that we find here, the story was never about them. See, the story wasn't about Isaac versus Ishmael. It's not, that's not the story. It was the story of the God of Isaac and Ishmael. See, the story wasn't about Hagar and Sarah. It was about the God of Hagar and Sarah. And the story was not about Abraham, even though he is father Abraham. It was never about him. It was about the God of Abraham. And his ability to fulfill his promises despite the scheming of man. Despite that. So what is the timeless truth that we've arrived at today? What is our timeless truth? It is this. Your story is not about you. Your story is about the God whom you serve. The God whom you serve. Guys, this truth, this is our timeless truth. This right here, in my humble opinion, is better than therapy, right? And I'm not dissing me. God's given me, some, two of my best friends have been therapists, and I, God gave them to me when I needed therapy, you know? Um, but so much of modern day counseling is about looking inside you to find the best version of you and to separate her out from the bad version of you. And if you can just get to the heart of you, then you will discover you in your peak form. And when you discover that, you will be the master of your own destiny. And you will be able to cope and live and prosper if only you can get to the heart of you. Biblical theology is radically opposed to this idea because your story is not about you. It's about the God who you serve. Guys, if you walked in here this morning and you think that you are 100% in control, that you are 100% the master of your own destiny, repent of that. Repent of that because God has a better plan. It's actually his plan. And we can align ourselves to the will of God in the way that Jesus aligned himself to the will of God. Not my will be done, but your will be done. The greatest adventure... The greatest adventure that we can find as humans is not in blind hedonism. It's not in just the most amount of pleasure that I can find inside of myself. That's not it. You will end up empty every single time. The Bible tells us that we will end up empty every single time when we chase our own desires. But the greatest adventure, and where I have found the greatest form of adventure, is in pursuing who God made me to be and making His story known more than I make my own story known, finding myself lost in who he is. So I started by uh, talking about the coolest picture ever taken of me. Um, I want to tell you guys about 
the coolest analogy God ever, ever gave me. The coolest analogy that God ever gave me. And it just so happens that it's about surfing. Now that is not me. That is another human in peak form who's peaked above a, uh, a ridge that I peaked on, right? Um, um, man, I, I surf so much as I surf behind a boat. I've never actually surfed, but I'm intrigued by surfers. I think surfing is the coolest and the greatest sport of all time because it's a sport that is not dependent on how physically awesome you are. It's a sport where you become good by submitting yourself unto the wave. That's exactly what surfing is. And, and when you watch surfers, it's crazy. You watch them out there, they all swim out to a spot. The first thing that a master surfer knows is he knows how to position himself. If he positions himself too forward, the wave breaks on his head and it's not a good thing. If he, if he, he's too far back, what happens? There's no push to the wave. He can't swim into it. So he has to find that right position. In the same way, if we are going to be living the not my will be done, but your will be done life, we have to position ourselves in the right way for God to, to use us. Have you found yourself in a life group? Have you found yourself in a ministry where you can serve? Have you found yourself in the right position where God can use you? Have you paddled into the place in which waves happen? Have you put yourself in a place where God moves? We just heard, right? We just heard the Marchand story and they talk about serving God at summer camp. They position themselves in that place. So that's the first thing uh, a surfer has to do. The second thing a surfer has to do is just like Sarah and Abraham, they have to wait and they have to discern. And you watch them. Sometimes it's super boring out there. They're just sitting on boards waiting for something to happen, right? Um, and then some waves start to swell. And they understand, like the ones who are good, which waves not to take. Ooh. Which waves not to take. They understand, I, this, if I jump on this wave, it's going to take me further from where I need to be. So I need to let this one go by. In the same way, guys, as we live the, the life of not my will be done, but your will be done. And as we learn to wait on the will of God, there's going to be all sorts of good waves that we can jump on. But some of those waves are not your waves. There's all sorts of good things we can do in life. We got to find the wave that we were meant to ride. We got to find when God troubles the water, that wave is my wave to ride. So you got to wait and you have to be discerning. And the last thing a surfer has to know how to do is when, when, when they've positioned themselves, when they've waited, and when that wave happens, they have to have the skill to be able to ride the wave. They have to be skilled enough to ride the wave. In the same way, if we're going to live this life of the not my will be done, but your will be done, if we're going to live that Christian life, we must be skilled in the ways and the teachings of God. We must know our Bibles. We must be in active prayer with God. We need to be able to, so when he troubles the water and when he sends us on this great journey, we are skilled enough to ride the wave to which he has given us. So have you found yourself immersed in God's word yet? Have you fallen in love with the word of God yet? So much so that you can read these two chapters, five chapters apart, and you can see the parallel love of God just streaming through both of them. Have you fallen in love? Have you skilled yourself in that? And if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I started this sermon off this morning with a lie. I lied. 
Because I don't believe that I peaked on the back of that boat this summer. Because I don't believe that the wave that I was meant to ride is a wave on the back of a boat. I also don't believe that the wave that I'm supposed to ride is in Hawaii somewhere or in that other way. Maybe someday I'll be able to do that. But what I want to do with my life is I want to ride the wave of salvations, baptism, and discipleship. I want to see God move in powerful ways. And as he does it, I just want to be so aligned to him that I get to live in the greatest adventure of my life on the wave on which he has provided. I believe, church, that God is going to bring waves our way. And it's going to be our job to get ready for those waves, to position ourselves perfectly. And as we do that, I believe God's going to bring a harvest. I believe revival is possible. And I believe we will look out here soon and we will not see an empty chair in here. Not because we are so good at this, but because God has provided the wave. Amen? Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word of God, which was preserved for us. And God, I pray that in my life, that I would continue to skill myself in the ways of your teaching, Lord. God, I pray that I would know how to wait. But most of all, God, I would see my life as not my own. And I, and I say this, even know that I don't fully know what it means. God, I want to see your glory. God, I want to glorify you with my life. And God, as we submit, repent, and align ourselves to what you're doing, I pray that you would bring revival to this place. And as you bring revival, God, we will praise you for it, and we will ride that wave on into eternity. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.